Good morning, and welcome to ULE, the news and current affairs from Dalhousie and the University of King's College, nestled on unceded, unsurrendered Mi'kmaq territory. I'm your host, Carly Schogner. Dalhousie Student Union election season has begun with the candidates' information session last Sunday. For March 12th and 13th elections, there are 22 candidates for the five executive positions and nine for the representative positions. In preparation for that, I wanted to hear from students on their thoughts, priorities, and insights. Uh, so my name is Kate. Okay. Uh, what's important to you uh, for Dalhousie? So I really want to see an improvement um, with the accessibility at Dalhousie. I mean, there's a lot of old buildings, and with the increase in money that we're getting, you know, it'd be nice to, to see more development around accessibility. Uh, my name is Julia. Thoughts and concerns? Accessibility. I was with a friend recently who was having a really hard time getting around campus because of the snow, and they're in a wheelchair. So that's one thing that I think is important. I think we have some trouble lately with having an equitable, safe campus for everyone. That worries me. Seems like there's like 15 different campuses happening happening at once. Uh, people end up in their own sort of circle, and you don't know what's going on in the other. And then when that comes out in a really violent way. It seems like a big surprise, but that's been happening without us knowing it the whole time. Thinking of sort of violent graffiti and, and uh, hateful acts and stuff like that. My name is Jobin Piercing and I'm from India. The thing that I would like to see would be uh, number one priority should be the mental health of the students. Like most of the people that come from like different countries, they face uh, the number one problem they face is emotional problem. Like they need. They are away from their home, they are away from their parents and family, and they miss them so much. They don't have friends over here and all these things. So I think there should be more programs in which they could uh, interact with each other so that they could less miss their homes. My name is Hazam Ben Nasser. I'm an international student here at Dalhousie University in my fourth year. One of the things I would have to say is that I feel like most of Dalhousie students, and this is like talking to my friends and everything, that we pay high tuitions, but we don't get much services back. I mean, like there is like fees for specific services that we almost never use, so we feel like we're just being charged for these for no reason, as like the money that we contribute in tuition should be going towards the students rather than like research or like opening a new building or something like that. And as an international student, um, it's always been a struggle like financially for us because of the uh, international differential fee. Any some sort of explanation why is, does it have to be five, almost $5,000? I like the change about the new <laughs> attendance policy where you, have to, you don't have to go to a doctor if you're already sick. I think that's a step in the right direction. Also including language about um, not just physical duress but mental duress. I liked that change that you can self-report that you you know, had a f uh, episode of mental duress and that you're trusted for that. I think that's a good change. More changes that direction would be nice. Uh, Dmitry Soprovich. I don't feel the union really represents at least a decent portion of the student body. It seems overly concerned with really, really, really petty stuff as opposed to bigger issues like keeping the universities honest on uh, tuition, which is going up, even though I've number of professors that they never see any of that tuition money in terms of things they can use to improve the classes. 
think inclusion is important and that everyone have a voice uh, in the student body. Hi, my name is Jack. I'm from China and I'm an international student here. So I think Dalhousie is really good. This is my first year. And actually, like, beside a lecturer, Dalhousie have labs and a tutor class, which actually help us to like, understand the, the information from the lecture. But like, for, for the dorm, like, the area like, which students need to leave, like, the condition not that good. I guess it would be nice to meet more upper-year students who can give advice about my program. I think it's just important to hear other people's experiences who've been in similar situations to see their advice and stuff. So, Nably, my concern is parking. Uh, here at Dell, regardless if you have a parking spot, a parking pass or not, you don't get parking if you're not here at the crack of dawn. Um, street parking isn't great, especially when it's only two hours or 15 minutes, and classes are usually two hours or three hours. Street parking to not be two hours or an hour, make it all day and take away meters. We pay enough as students to have, we should have parking. Hi, I'm Richard Popola. What I want to be changed on that would probably be additional bus stops, um, more restaurants, like more food joints, and like a big place where people can actually sit down and eat. Like normally you see everybody scattered around for like after they get food. Like that would be a proper addition, I think, that might happen to that. And it would be great if it happened. Uh, well, I've heard that there's a lot of people who are very conservative running, which is quite concerning for me because I've, I've heard things that... They might be a little bit racist or insensitive to other cultures or like don't think before they speak. A lot of people running currently may not be best fit for the position, but that's why students need to care and like look into the elections and make sure the people running aren't or like hold them accountable definitely in the future just in case certain people do get elected. But I will hold those people accountable said anything does happen. Thank you. Tune in next week for our special CKDU Q&A with the Student Union candidates. You're listening to ULEAD on CKDU 88.1 FM. If you're curious about radio or want to share stories, come by and volunteer with me. Drop by our studio located on the fourth floor of the Dalhousie Student Union building. Healing Our Nations is an Aboriginal HIV AIDS organization that provides education of HIV and AIDS services and support to our people in a manner that is respectful to our native ways of life. We are guided on this mission by the people we help. Healing Our Nations educates First Nation people about HIV and AIDS, knowing the risk associated with the spread of HIV and defining the myths and facts about AIDS is the first step to healing our nations. One to two Aboriginal people a day are newly infected with HIV and AIDS. To find out more or to get involved, call 492-4255 or visit us online at hon93.ca or drop by the office at 15 Alderney Drive, Suite 3, Dartmouth. Recently, Kings had their own student union's elections, Last week, we heard from Financial Vice President and the Student Life Vice President. This week, I sat down with Izzy Ortnard, elected Communications Vice President, as a first-year representative at 88.4%. Do you mind just telling me about, a little bit about yourself? What's your background? What did you do before? I'm from Toronto, Ontario, and I lived near Scarborough um, and then went to 
private school, which I was very fortunate to be able to do at Havergal College, which was um, a very, very interesting experience living in one place uh, with a very diverse background and socioeconomically and diversity and then coming to a slightly less (laughs) diverse um, high school and then really got into politics in grade 12 when I took a politics class and um, received the politics uh, grade 12 politics award hopefully going to continue studying that in the future. When did you first decide to run for student elections and why? Um, I was very opposed to the idea of having a role in high school um, on council um, just because I didn't feel like there was a lot of autonomy there. And then I, when I got to King's, I felt like it was a very safe place to enter into politics, where especially if you're starting out like me. And so I decided to run. I, lo- I loved getting to know everyone in my year. Um, so it was really rewarding. Why did you choose this position over another one? Communication specifically. Um, I thought that, um, especially being a journalism student um, at King's, that it was a good, good opportunity to see how social media, the King's um, Union website, and how that communication works um, within the union and how it can be improved and the documents, um, learning how that structurally is created and really being a spokesperson for the union. What is the most important uh, thing for you to accomplish in this position this year? I really want to work on having the confidence uh, to speak up, especially when people are losing confidence in the union. I feel that I'm still a fresh perspective that would really be able to thrive in the environment like the union and being a young student, a female student, a biracial student. I think it's important I have that confidence. What are the top three things that you want to work on? Definitely seeking to better connect different years at King's. I feel like there's a lot of a divide going on and especially with older students that have that social capital, it's very difficult a lot of the time for younger students to feel comfortable entering into politics. And so that's one thing, um, working to better bridge the gaps between students. Definitely also, um, second thing would be to increase diversity within the union. It's a very welcoming place which is but it it obviously needs some improvements and I think that number one reason why it feels pretty welcoming is because of the diverse perspectives that are there but realizing looking around and seeing who is not at the table and who should join the thing would probably be making the the meetings more engaging from the council meetings I have been at uh, there hasn't been a huge turnout a few times there has been especially for a smaller school pretty decent but making it more like a almost symposium type situation where it's a lot more engaging for people that aren't directly in on council to join you would have seen izzy recite poetry on wednesday night at the king's radicalized student collective for a black history month reading and poetry night 
From January 12th to April 4th, King's is hosting a free lecture series of a historical to modern view of robots to in artificial intelligence. Professor of Humanities Gordon McGuett is a brainchild of the series. A research fellow from Cambridge University to the Max Planck Institute in Berlin, I sat down with him about bridging the academic silos to the role of science fiction. Where did the idea of automatons uh, from Ovid to AI lecture series come about? The up-year programs at King's, every once in a while when we have time, we'll run a big lecture series on some topic. We've done stuff on Karl Marx and uh, Derrida, um, aesthetics and ethics uh, over the past few years. And there's been a bit of a hiatus since the last one. Uh, and since the, the AI has been in the news quite a bit, recently. We thought last year during one of our uh, program meetings that it would be a great idea to do something on artificial intelligence, but also run the gamut of the up here programs and the kind of things that are of interest over at Dalhousie. Uh, so we wanted to go from the ancient world all the way up to the modern rather than just issues that are happening right now. And that's how the, the series came about. And they threw it into me because I've done uh, stuff on cyborgs and things like that, so I've been the coordinator of it. What role do you see that science fiction plays in relation to present life or f near future? Teresa Heffernan's talk, which is the first talk after we did Metropolis, was exactly on this topic. And she said it's an interesting relationship between science fiction and reality. It's not predictive in the sense that we often start, you know, Star Trek had uh, tr the tricorder or whatever the thing was that uh, looked like a cell phone and that they somehow predicted that. But she addressed the issue that science fiction becomes a uh, way of morally addressing the issues that exist now. That is, it's a, an imagination of what would happen if we uh, um, make inferences on the development now to criticize present day society and also to give us a ethical moral ground. Many, though, she said, uh, people working in robotics and AI are thinking of science fiction as just predictive, right? So they, they all grew up with Star Trek and everything like that. So they want to build a version of Star Trek on Silicon uh, Valley. And uh, um, I think that the relationship is much more complex as she describes it, right? Mm -hmm. Actually, um, speaking of that, um, sometimes I notice that... Um, it feels like there's an unhalted progress with technology. You know, almost sometimes it feels like the passion of the Second Amendment that, you know, thou shalt not, you know, prevent people or counter, you know, like ethics around, you know, the use of technology. And um, um, how do you believe we, ins we inspire more individual responsibility when people are making decisions in regards to our use and our future use of the technology and its capabilities? This is a common myth that maybe makes up our modern constitution, how we think about the, the world, is that technology is just a tool that you can pick up and put down, and that um, it lies in the self or an individual or in society to, um, to use it for good or evil. I think that's the uh, National Rifle Association uh, motto is, uh, guns don't kill people, people kill people. And we just know that's not, not the case, that technology embodies an ethical uh, and social realm to it in itself, right? And that if we don't realize that our 
ethics are there in our machines and that they in a certain sense reconstitute us as social and ethical beings um, and aesthetic beings and all that uh, so that we are much more intertwined with our technology now what should that say well it should say when uh, people are doing engineering classes they do classes like those over at king's where they figure out that it's not merely a problem-solving gesture of which they will solve the next problem over and over and over again towards optimality or vomit force their creativity into whatever machine that they make, but that their responsibility is right there at the site of design and the implementation of technology. And moreover, this notion of constant progress itself uh, is rarely examined in that story, we we say, well, we have to have progress in uh, human rights, and we have to have progress in. And I don't think anybody would deny this in uh, in uh, gender equality and etc. 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 But we think that there's this unbridled possibility on the science and technology side to unleash its power, just go full blast um, into the next, into the next, into the next generation ad infinitum until we somehow uh, stand in as Kurzweil, uh, the great lunatic in, uh, in the singularity in technology, think that we'll become one with the technological universe and it will be our hummingbee. This sort of stuff, if it doesn't really uh, examine the place of technology on the ground or in situ, will always allow itself to unleash uh, without thinking of the consequences, and those could be quite uh, mighty. In relation to that, um, tell me more about your uh, your role and motivation as director uh, for the Strategic Knowledge Cluster Situation Science, yeah. the project that uh, promotes ways of bringing together scholars in science, technology, philosophy, history, science, cultural perspectives. Um, what's your role in that? Oh, okay, that's that's a good one. That's a huge experiment that was uh, given license by the Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council a few years ago when we wrote a utopian scheme to say, look, uh, science is advancing, uh, but its examination of what that means, its history, its sociology, its philosophical in, uh, implications had not been thought about while we constantly invent, uh, invest in incre uh, increasing scientific research. And so we pulled together a consortium of universities and researchers across Canada to, uh, to explore this over a series of themes and conferences, workshops, summer schools, sky writing, uh, all kinds of uh, wild uh, gestures and sub-projects. And it's, what it's done is bring a deeper consciousness or understanding of the workings of the in, uh, inside of science and its um, you know, philosophical sociability and also on the side of humanists and people working in the social sciences to take science in situ, that's the term was in the title, uh, situatedness of science, to take it very, very seriously. The project was a fantastic success. I think it had a budget of five, six million dollars. And it uh, grew all kinds of sub-projects on science and its publics and the relationship between uh, uh, new technologies and life, uh, uh, gender and uh, nature. Uh, springing off all of these sub-projects and eventually it uh, was nominated and became one of three finalists for the very prestigious 
impact award by the tri-councils. Um, my role, try to keep all those cats in line and, uh, and, and kind of be the spokesperson on the front and also to uh, direct it in general. And that finished in 2016, I guess, and then a new project started uh, working on the same sort of topics with Southeast Asia and China. Um, in relation to the like the silo effect of, of, of all our fields, what are some current problems that you see exist uh, from like siloing of, of fields of studies? Yeah, sure. Uh, Fifty or more years ago, actually more than fifty now, uh, C.P. Snow, the what was he, a journalist, and, um, physicist, and a novel, poor novelist, uh, gave the famous uh, read lectures called the Two Cultures, and he saw a danger between the notion of uh, or the the culture of science or the community of science and the community of humanities and. Uh, social science existing in complete two silos. This he thought it was dangerous as can be because it creates this divide where uh, it's not even a divide of ignorance, a divide of, of trajectories uh, in different directions of which they require their intermingling, especially in the modern uh, university. Otherwise, we perpetuate the kind of um, fetish of both development and and uh, technological fix, and on the other side, we uh, fetishize the sort of notion that we're all going to hell in a haycart uh, um, because of um, the modern world that one gets sometimes in the humanities, and that these two really have to snuggle closer together to intertwine like in the pores of each other uh, to create a new possibility for rewriting our constitution of what it is to be modern. Would you categorize uh, social media algorithms as also automatons? Yeah, of course they are. Uh, Facebook is spending a, a ton of money on doing this. And if you're, you're not old enough to remember when the internet was getting going, there was a lot of debate about whether this would alienate ourselves from each other uh, because we'd always be on electronic device, which we always are. Uh, but it, that turns out that actually we are closer together in some sense because I can talk to my friends in India right now uh, when I'm finished with you. Uh, but the caution was that we would um, uh, also um, uh, alienate ourselves from each other deeply uh, in this uh, uh, world. What it actually turns out is that these new automatons in writing uh, social media uh, programs are actually looking for the signals of what we expect to happen. And then they feed back to us, right? And there's a lot of money being spent on this. Uh, and what it turns out is that it creates silos that are, that are impregnable. Is that the right word? I think so. <laughs> you can't get in there, right? There's no uh, uh, possibility of not hearing what one wants to hear. And this, I think, is a huge mistake. Uh, it's a huge, uh, we uh, pride ourselves on our diversity, but we rarely pride ourselves on our diversity of uh, encounters of other opinions, right? Other views of the world. And we. Uh, so an upcoming meeting uh, focuses on intelligence, intelligent machines in war. Uh, I would assume this has to do with, includes drones. What can we expect uh, in the upcoming lecture and, and our role in prevention or humanitarian um, foreign affairs? Well, the talks will be a clash of the titans because these are two big players in uh, the, the field of autonomous weapons. Uh, 
Noel Sharkey, uh, a famous computer scientist and BBC presenter, is the guy that leads up to the Stop Killer Robots campaign, right? Uh, and this is an international campaign to put a stop to these kinds of autonomous weapons, which he thinks are uh, dangerous at the moment, and their promise is even more dangerous, right? Dangerous at the moment because it doesn't give proximity of engagement. It uh, treats people as mere targets, uh, and it's liable to go wrong. And in the future, uh, you know, what's going to happen when they begin to make ethical questions as part of the programs? Duncan McIntosh from the philosophy department has been working with some think tanks in the United States on autonomous weapons, and he is not so sure about these stories. He has given a series of responses to the killer robot uh, resistance movement by saying, you know, for example, would you rather be killed by a human or killed by a robot? Maybe you'd rather be killed by a robot because it hasn't got anything against you. You can tune in next week for our full interview with McEwitt on an upcoming lecture of our An Age of Intelligent Machines in War Zones. If you're interested in things of what to do, check out the charity face-off dodgeball tournament tonight at Dowplex at 7.30 p.m. On Tuesday, it is the first day of the Iron Ladle cooking competition series at 1 p.m. at the Loaded Ladle. And on Wednesday, there's a free ESL workshop at 4.30 in the Mona Campbell building. Stay tuned next week for a special Q&A with the Dalhousie Student Union candidates. Up next, The Signal, CKDU Surprise, and Democracy Now! I'll leave you with musician, author, speaker, astronaut, and the first Canadian commander of the International Space Station. Colonel Chris Hadfield was welcomed last night by Dalhousie Art Centre with a cheering audience. Stay tuned next week for highlights. Here is Chris Hadfield with Big Smoke from his record album Space Sessions, Songs from a Tin Can. Mm-hmm.